All right, we are in the parables, particularly the parables of the kingdom in Matthew 13, as we've been going through our discussions. I uh, was talking to somebody at the UMJC that uh, uh, we were doing this kind of discussion thing and that it was taking longer than I thought. And uh, one of them said, uh, one of the other rabbis had the same idea, was going through Matthew, and they've been going through it for over a year now. <laughs> and I said, I don't want to go that long, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, but it, when you allow people to discuss, there's more interaction, and I think that's really, really valuable. So we're in the parables. We looked at the two primary parables, the parable of the sower, which... Uh, Jesus explains himself that as the word goes forth of the kingdom, there will be some who simply will not get it. And then there will be two other kinds of groups who get it for a while, but don't stay. And the reason they don't stay is one of them, persecution, because of the word. In other words, uh, the, the pushback that people give you about obeying God's word uh, makes them give up. And the other one, the uh, issues of life and taking care of what I got to do and my work and all of that uh, chokes the word out. And so it becomes unfruitful. Then Jesus talked about the soil that receives the word, continues, grows to maturity, that is, becomes fruitful. And that fruitfulness is uh, also variable in terms of 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And that really describes, in, the, in a real sense, the response to the word of the kingdom, the message of the gospel and the kingdom of God to come. Then Jesus gives a parable that we talked about where uh, a, a man sows his field with good uh, wheat and then... An enemy comes, Satan in that case, sows tares or these weeds that look like they're the real thing, but they're not. And the uh, angels say, or the servants say, hey, should we, uh, should we go get them, weed them out? And he says, no, because you might weed out the good ones. So let them both grow. And at the end, uh, the angels will come and separate the uh, good ones from the bad ones, and the bad ones will be burned. So this idea that even though the kingdom begins to develop, there are those who are genuine believers and those who are false believers. Don't confuse false believers in that parable with the ones that fall away. They simply, there are those who are unbelievers, even if they believe for a while, and then there are those who are never believers. They are simply there to give uh, uh, a, a uh, destruction in the, uh, in the field, but it ultimately will not work, this idea of these false believers. We're now going to move to some other, you'll notice those two were somewhat together, and Jesus explains those. We're now going to get the ones that aren't explained, uh, but they also come in pairs, and they also relate to the kingdom of God. And this theme about the kingdom of God has good and bad in it. Positive and negative in it. And ultimately that will be judged at the end. That overriding theme is found throughout this chapter. So we'll see that again. So I want you to pick up in verse 31 of um, Matthew 13. 
And we will see uh, two additional parables. These are very brief. They are given in a uh, way where uh, you you would like to have the explanation given. And in some sense, the explanation is given by Jesus quoting the prophets in that context. So, verse 31 says, He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. It is smaller than other seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Now, this parable gets all kinds of discussion. Because Jesus said, in effect, it is the least of the seeds, uh, there, there are people who say, we found one that's smaller, we found one that's smaller, and, and the reality is, there isn't one smaller among the people that Jesus was talking to. You don't talk about something people don't know anything about when you're trying to explain something, right? So what he's talking about is a seed they know is very, very small. They also know the size of this mustard bush that, that grows almost to a tree-like area. And he's going to exaggerate it into growing into a tree for the purpose of explaining something. And so he says, it's small, but it's full grown, it's larger than the garden plants, and in this case becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Now that statement, and if you have an NASB, those are in capitals, which means it's a direct quote. This direct quote is uh, a parallel that's found in uh, Ezekiel chapter 31, it's mentioned in 30 in chapter 17, and it's also mentioned in Judges. But it's directly quoted from the uh, chapter 31. And in that context, it's talking about Pharaoh and Egypt and this, the, the nation building up so much like a tree that the birds land in the tree and the animals come under the tree and the animals give birth under the shade of the tree and the nations are shaded in it. In other words, uh, there was an impact of that nation even upon the other nations. But the parable, the story goes on in Ezekiel to say that that will be destroyed. Uh, Because while it's beautiful, it's proud and arrogant, and it becomes a problem that has to be removed. So what we have here is a parable that says that the kingdom is going to start out in a very small sense. And of course, it will begin with Jesus and his disciples and that small group of, of believers. And then we'll grow into a broad, large uh, people. And in that context, it will have impact on the nations. And here the idea of the birds in the tree are seen by many commentators as uh, evil. At least the context of that. In other words, it's not going to be this perfect kingdom that grows up this thing that grow up will include both good and evil, which is exactly what we've seen in the other in the other parables. There are those who are genuine, those who are false. There are those who maintain, and those who fall away. 
And so this idea that this thing will grow into a large phenomenon is part of this notion. Now, people want to ask, who is the person uh, that planted it? That's not the focus. The focus is this thing that is very small will grow to world uh, acknowledgement and in that there will be an effect on the whole world. Now, related to that is the second one that is given in verse 33. He spoke another parable to them. The wording here indicates these are connected. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. Uh, So this, again, is a common thing. People knew how to plant seeds and see them grow up and saw the growth from the small into the large. And here what we have is leavened bread. And then when leaven is put in it, it transforms and puffs up and enlarges that amount until it's all leavened. Now here we run into some problems. And the problems is that leaven is often used in the scriptures for arrogance, pride, and evil. And so those who see that, see while this thing is, uh, is there, there is the unleavened bread, which uh, Israel would understand is somewhat connected to holiness uh, and the bread of haste of the Passover. Then this thing being leavened, Uh, with the idea that there will be uh, that which is uh, arrogant and proud within this kingdom of God as it expands and grows. However, there is another use of of leaven, and that is the leaven of the loaves presented before the Lord at uh, Shavuot, uh, at Pentecost wherein there is also the reading of the book of Ruth and the acknowledgement of Gentiles, those who are far away, who will come near to the Lord. So there are some who interpret this as an indication that the nations uh, will come in, that it will come to Israel, it will come to the Samaritans, it will come to the Gentiles. I favor that one less. It doesn't fit the context here. The context here seems to be this notion that there is good and problematic aspects of the development of the kingdom, which seems to make a lot of sense in what Jesus is going to say at the end, that there is a need to do some sorting, and there is a need to be careful in the sorting, so that we take those things which are useful, uh, both old and new, and bring them together. So... Um, and that those things that are evil will be taken out uh, at the end. So I'm going to uh, stop it there and allow us to have a little uh, discussion in that context. So the question is why, why these don't have any explanation. Why are they being connected to the others? If you look at the chapter in its, in its wholeness, uh, what Matthew does is he arranges Jesus' explanation so that it intersperses the parable of the sower and the parable of the tares in between these others. 
giving an indication that this is not separate subjects. And we'll see as he gets to the end, he goes back to this idea of weeding out the evil uh, in there. So I believe that the larger context, that's why I'm trying not to get down into who's the woman and who's the man. I don't think they matter, though a lot of commentators are going to try to tell you who those are. Uh, I, don't, I don't think they're mentioned uh, to, to indicate a, a person or a people. The, these are processes. The process of growth from the small to the large and the process of an internal um, leavening that is often the arrogance of thinking that it is, uh, we're, the, we're the kingdom of God instead of it's God's kingdom and we're in it kind of thing. So, so are you ready? So the question is, uh, Jesus quotes Ezekiel. Uh, why is this being interpreted negatively? Because our general sense is that the kingdom of heaven is perfect, right? Uh, and this is because we don't think in terms of the process, we have kind of compartmentalized it. Now is now, and the kingdom is then. But remember, Jesus said, the kingdom is among you. The kingdom is now, but it's not full. And now, in its non-fullness, there are things that are not good in the kingdom. But those will be weeded out or removed at the time that the kingdom comes into its fullness when, when Messiah comes. So if we go back to uh, uh, chapter uh, 31 of... Uh, of Ezekiel. Uh, I'll pick it up, verse 2. He says, Son of man, say to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his hordes, uh, Whom are you in your greatness? Behold, Assyria was a cedar in Lebanon with beautiful branches, forest shade, very high. Its top was among the clouds. The waters made it grow deep. Its rivers continually, they sent out their channels to all the trees of the field. Therefore, its height was loftier than all the trees. And the boughs became many and the branches long because of the many waters that are spread out. All the birds of heaven nested in its boughs. There's the direct quote, right? Um, and under its branches, all the beasts of the field gave birth, and all great nations lived under its shade. Now, this is in reference to the, the kingdom of man, right? Which will ultimately be destroyed. So, my sense is that what Jesus is saying here is that the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God are going to intermingle in this process of its growth. Now, he doesn't in this parable say, and then that which is not good will be removed, but he does it in all the others so that the point is still, is still made there. So I think that's, that's why that's in that context. And it's great. So the question is, could the leaven also indicate the idea that there's growth within the body? And then there's uh, those who grow up in the faith sometimes are arrogant in the context of that faith. I think that's a great midrash on that. It's not what the text is talking about. But remember, in, in biblical interpretation, there's the, the direct, literal interpretation. And then there's the extension of the patterns in there. And then we do make use of it in other things where we can find parallels to that. And I think a person could make that. 
Though I don't think that's included in, in that context. I mean, we do that with a lot of things. My fear is that we sometimes make that the substance of our faith. I'm okay with that when we have the, the foundations in place. So that's why I'm glad you brought it up. Because people often think that I'm opposed to anything that might be a little out of context. I'm not, unless you try to make that, that's what the, the primary teaching is. And, of course, you didn't do that, so that's great. All right, anyone else before we move on? All right, we're going to pick up at 44, verse 44. Uh, After explaining the tares, uh, Jesus talks uh, about two additional um, parables. Again, I think these are connected. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The second one, he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, what these two parables have in common is that something of value is discovered And a person is willing to give up everything they have for that valuable item. But there is a contrast here. You'll notice the first guy apparently happens upon the treasure. He's not looking for treasure. But the merchant of pearls is seeking something of value. Right? There are people who will just come upon the kingdom of God, see its value, and be willing to deny self, take up their cross, and follow to enter into the kingdom. And there are others who have been seeking and seeking and seeking, and when they hear the message, it's what they've been looking for, and they also will sell everything they have. This is really, I believe, parables of those who happened upon the kingdom, and those who are seeking after the kingdom, who are willing to give everything up because they understand the words that Yeshua or Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And by the way, that is the answer to those who fall away in the parable of the sower because they're worried about the world and the things of the world, right? Jesus said, don't worry about what we will eat, what we will drink, what we shall wear. Your father knows that. The Gentiles are after. They're seeking that. But you seek the kingdom of God, right? And so the priority here is that kingdom things are our priority. Uh, we are not to say, oh, and I want the kingdom too. Right? Oh, and I want the kingdom too, says, as long as it's not bothering me, and as long as it doesn't interfere with my life, then I want that. And we have a lot of that in the American church. But the kingdom of God is that which should be valued and treasured. And as we seek it, we we are going to end up uh, having to take on the whole field to get that treasure. Right? Uh, He doesn't just grab the treasure and take off with it. Uh, he, he buys the field so that he can get the treasure. And the other guy sells everything so he can get the pearl. So I'm going to stop at that point.
So the question is, is this guy really stealing the, the treasure because he knows it's there and he hides it? I, I don't think that's the, the issue of... That modern eyes would see it that way. Uh, the, the, eyes, the eyes of this first century uh, see fields differently. Remember that in, in the Jewish context, if you buy a field okay, from somebody... That field goes back to him in the year of Jubilee. So you're never completely purchasing something and everything that's in it. So this, this echoes for me the, uh, the idea of Abraham. Uh, he wanted the cave of Machpelah and he bought the entire field. right? So I think the idea is that there's a context to the treasure that you're also uh, getting. He's not selling everything he can just for the treasure. He's buying the field. So I think there's a broader context there. And so I don't think it's stealing in that, in that sense. But I, I certainly know why people think that. It's like, I find this, I'm hiding it so no one else will get it, right? And then I'm buying the field so I can get that and I don't care about the field. I, I don't think that's a correct interpretation of that. So there are some that have done that. Okay, so now we're going to do the Sergeant Friday uh, parable. That's an old joke that will only work with some of you. Right? Dragnet, right? But it's not that kind of dragnet. This is the kind of fishing that takes place in the first century predominantly. They're not doing lure fishing uh, we always think, I will make you fishers of men, Fish, you know, doing this thing. They didn't fish that way. That's why this kind of individualism is the way we think. We need to think the way they thought. So we're going to pick it up at verse 47. Again, now, when he says again, the idea here is that these are all connected. I'm giving you aspects, not of separate things, but of, of Ways of looking at the kingdom of God. The focus here is all the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach. And they sat down and gathered the good into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous. And will throw them into the furnace of fire. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I want you to catch that we have two times when Jesus talks about this. In both cases, he places it at the end of the age. In other words, the kingdom is now. And as it's growing large, it's got people who don't get it. People who won't last. People who are false. All of that's going on. That should not discourage you. You should persevere in faith to the end. He that endures to the end will be saved. And so we persevere and we push to that because what God is doing, what is happening in the proclamation of the word of God is that a net is being cast and it's grabbing everything that it can within its reach. And then there will be a time when they have harvested it, brought it in, and now they're going to look. Now, 
You may not be able to acknowledge this with uh, fishing, but I will. Anybody who's grown up in this part of the world knows what it's like to go out trick or treating, and coming back and going through your bucket, and there is stuff in your bucket that you don't want. Right. There's stuff you don't want. And there's stuff that you want, right? Now, sometimes you try to trade the stuff you don't want to somebody who doesn't have your discernment. And, (laughs) right, that's not in this parable. But what's in this parable is there's good fish and bad fish, right? Uh, There's fish that can be eaten and are appropriate. Probably there's some fish that are unclean, right? And so what he's doing is he says they're going to carefully contain those that are good and they're going to throw out the bad and burn it, clearly with an indication of, of, of hell in that sense or the lake of fire. So it's important to understand that he is trying to get us to see the big picture of the kingdom. Now it is mixed, but then it will be pure. Peter says, those of us who have this hope in us, purify ourselves. We should be going through that sorting now in our lives. And that's what we use Lent for. And that's what we use the period before Yom Kippur for. As we try to remove the things out of our life that shouldn't be there. Going through unleavened bread for seven days. Going, man, that's really hard getting rid of pride. This is part of the process of enduring to the end and being faithful to the end in that context. So I'm going to stop at that one and then we'll get the last words of Jesus in this context. Okay, so the question is, here the Lord and the angels are doing the sorting. What about us? Do we do the sorting? I think that if you look at biblical content overall, we sort in our own life. That's the starting place. Because why are you going to judge your brother and say he has a speck in his eye when you got a log sticking out of yours, right? So it starts with us. We sort, we should be, there should be a house cleaning from time to time. We all have that issue. Secondly, notice how will you care, how will you sort your brother's eye, right? Uh, if, if you see a brother who's overtaken, you who are spiritual, restore him. Our second step is to take those who are genuine believers and say to them, uh, here's an issue, and encourage them along the way. Then there are those who reject that correction. And we have the Matthew 18 thing, right? Tell him, come with others, then tell the church. And if he won't hear you, remove him. And there, we stop our judgment. Our judgment is not to judge the world. That's God's. He will do that at the end. So, now, when we are judging within, we have to be careful that we don't start into ripping up terrors because we might rip up a genuine one, right? And that's why there's always a need to, whenever we do any correction, to do it with redemptive considerations and not punitive or condemning. 
We're not to condemn each other. We're to encourage each other back into the pathway, right? Uh, and while even if we separate ourselves from someone, we are doing it for our own protection, not to condemn them, right? Which is why Paul says, remove them, because those outside, God judges. And having experienced that myself, God judges us to bring us back in. Even in 1 Corinthians, when Paul says, remove this man, remove him from the congregation for the destruction of the flesh, that his soul may be saved in the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, it's got a redemptive purpose, not a condemning purpose in that thing. So I would say that's the general, the general pattern for that. Uh, we have a tendency to think we should be judging the world. Now, we should be discerning the world so that we know where to stay away from that which is unclean, that which is defiling, that which is a problem. But we're doing that for our benefit. We're not doing that to, uh, to condemn them, right? And hopefully, we show our light in such a way that they will be attracted to the light if they are seeking that pearl of great price, right? Or if they happen upon it because they happen upon us. All right, any other questions on that one? I'm just about to the end. We're doing good on time. Yeah. That's a great question. So the question is, going back to the seek first the kingdom of God, don't seek these things. All the Gentiles seek them. Your father knows you have need. Seek first the kingdom of God, and these will be added. Gives the impression that if I seek the kingdom of God, I'm going to get all these things, right? You've got to remember what he's talking about. He's talking about daily food, right? Daily uh, hydration and daily covering. He's not talking about mansions and cars and all. He's not talking about the blessings. He's talking about the basic needs. Remember what the scripture says. Having food and clothing, let us therewith be content. Now, I got to tell you, I am so far past the biblical line of contentment, it's absurd. Which means, for me to be concerned or to gripe is ungrateful before God, right? Uh, because there are many of our brothers and sisters who are living closer to that line of contentment, right? So I think that that's the difference. The problem is, and I, I'm glad you brought that up, because that's not the way it's taught. So it gets taught as the, then you're going to have all these things. There are other verses where Jesus says, if you give up this for me, you will receive this and this and this and eternal life. But those are in a somewhat different context than the daily food and the daily uh, nourishment in that sense. Okay, now we come to my favorite part of the passage. Um, it is in uh, verse uh, 51. Have you understood all these things? <laughs> and they said, yes. <laughs> okay, now, it, this scripture is pretty clear all through the Gospels. That most of the time the disciples didn't know what he was talking about, right? Uh, right. And even afterwards they were struggling with it, right? But I think they were beginning to get this. 
I don't think Jesus completely bought their answer. But he's done because they're full, right? They can't take much more. So now he says something that I find extremely illuminating. And it is the thing that put me into a passion for the text and a passion for both the historical uh, discussions of Judaism and Christianity and the development of it. He says this. Jesus said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like the head of a household who brings out of his treasure things new and old. What what Jesus is basically saying is, some new stuff is about to happen. There's going to be an explosion of the kingdom of God as the word goes beyond you even to the Gentiles. It's not all going to be good, but it's going to be an explosion. The enemy is going to sow uh, some evil people in there. Uh, People are going to fall away. Uh, I've told you these things before, right? But if you are one instructed in the scriptures, that's what it means by a scribe, someone who's literate in the Uh, in the Torah and the prophets. And now a disciple of the kingdom, the good news. He will be like someone who's a wise manager over his household and brings out of his treasure. Now, who's he bringing it out for? His family, right? He's bringing it out for his kids. He's going to bring out things old and things new. This text... Reminds me of my grandfather on my mother's side. Who whenever we were, would go to his farm. I'd be telling him things that were happening now. And he was always able to connect the past and the present. He could give me... Con- it's one of the reasons why I almost can't do a class without going back into history and bringing this stuff forward because the understanding requires the starting place and the place where we are. You can't just go from here because you don't know the direction. You can't live in the past. But we have the, we have the, the Older Testament. We have the Newer Testament. We have the Torah We have the gospel. We have the foundations of Judaism. We have the struggles of Christianity. And all of that is moving towards the fullness of the kingdom of God. And we need to be wise heads of households. So that we draw from these things. Notice the new doesn't replace the old. The old and the new work together. And the one who has wisdom and discernment and good stewardship will be able to handle those. So, questions on that?